thank you for joining us on the CFF Podcast. Today, Pastor Pablo Martinez will be inspiring you with a message from the Word of God. We hope you enjoy and welcome home. Have a seat. Have a seat real quick. Um, today is, thank you, Chris. Thank you, thank you. Today is Palm Sunday, and it is an amazing, amazing, amazing day uh, to believe in Jesus. There is uh, uh, the most important, uh, to me, the two most important holidays are one, obviously, when he's born, right? And that is, what is it called? Wow, good, good, good. And then the second one when he is risen. And next Sunday we're going to be uh, having an incredible, incredible Sunday called Resurrection Sunday. Uh, But it just amazes me. Today I'd like to share with you about a little bit about Palm Sunday. Uh, Because, not because it's just the time, you know, uh, but because it is so incredible to know that on one day we can be praising God, worshiping, saying Hosanna, and then in a week... The same crowd was saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The exact same people that welcomed him were the same people that the next week were watching him bleed to death. And many of them were happy about it. Isn't it amazing how we can do the same thing with other people? We can do that with our, with our own marriages, in our own relationships. The person does something great and we're like, yeah, you're great, doing really, really good. Husbands, if you're here... Please don't say amen. But you feel like you're doing great. You feel like you're the, the, the Clark Kent uh, of your marriage. And everything's going great. Amazing. And then all of a sudden you do something, one thing. And it's like you've never done anything good in your life. Wives, you probably felt that way before. Right? The environment of the home was beautiful. Things are going great. But then all of a sudden something switches. And the home turns into this, this dark, heavy place to be in. It happens at work. You're a great employee until you do the one thing. Right? We do this with people all the time. We love someone. We want to be with them. But then they say something we don't like and you don't want to hang out with them anymore. Now, I know I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about simple humanity. That's who we are. It's how we are. Because we know how to focus on the negative, don't we? My boy, he's four years old. And I have to teach him Bible verses. It's like, okay, come here. And I have to like sit there. And you could see Eoni and I doing like, Eoni is my wife, by the way. And she's doing this. I'm like, I mean, I'm her husband, by the way. Uh, just kidding. So she, he's doing like, God is bigger than. And she's doing all these things so that the kid can learn one phrase. And then we ask him about the phrase and he doesn't remember it. And so we give him candy so that he can remember the phrase. But one day I was doing something. I said, oh, crap. How many of you guys know that, oh crap, he learned it really quick. And he was like, oh crap. I was like, dude, don't say that. And he was like, well, you just said it. I was like, uh, crap. You know, it's like, how about, how about, how quick is it for you to learn bad words in another language? Now, all of you guys don't know five languages, but you could probably say a bad word in another language. No? You want me to test you? I know how to say bad words in Chinese. Now, I'm a pastor, so I won't say them. But I went to Arcadia High School. Anybody know where Arcadia is? Yes, I love Arcadia. It's a great school. Um, and I learned some really, really good Chinese. Like, ni hao ma, xie xie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of, why ni, ni ni hao ma. That means I love you. Do you love me? I think, I think. Anybody here can corroborate that? Is that okay? That, that acts. Louis, was that good or no? <laughs> All right. Chinese, Korean, what do you speak? Cantonese, Mandarin? Oh, dang. See? People are like, oh, all Asians look alike. Yeah, all Mexicans look alike too. All Latinos look alike. Like, where are you from? Somewhere over there. Uh, but okay, so I'm, I'm just going to ask you this question. Simple, simple question. 
How easy is it for you to remember bad things? Super easy. We have a good memory for negative things. The, the person, you know, the leader, the, the, the cell leader can bless your life, minister to you, give you all they have, all their time, take away time from their kids, from their family, teach you the word of God, and you love them. All of a sudden they ask you something you don't want to respond like, hey, did you do the devotional? Oh, all of a sudden you get all argumented, you get mad. Why are you pushing me? Why are you pushing me? I feel pressured. And all of a sudden you're like, crucify him, crucify him. Isn't it crazy how we do that? You could love a church, something's great in the church, but then somebody didn't say hi to you and crucify him. Really, really quick. Relationships, I'm telling you, we do that way, way too often. And I know that it's part of our human nature. But today we're not going to talk about that. I just wanted to share that because I believe it's important that... Palm Sunday should not just be a reminder, yes, he's our king, yes, Hosanna, and he deserves it. As we always should, always, not just on Palm Sunday. Amen? Amen. Always, always say Hosanna. He is our king. But we could not be that unfair. We could not just pretend that that only happened in Palm Sunday. That we can say, hey, I laid down my coat for you. They literally, the Bible says that they would lay down their coats. They lay down leaves. They would lay down everything so that the, the Lord can walk on those things. And guess what? Right after that. Literally right after that same week. We haven't even, it was Friday and they were crucifying him. It wasn't even Sunday yet. Let me ask you one thing and one thing only. Why a donkey? <laughs> Why a donkey? There was this, this, this donkey that was chosen. Um, and he was chosen to be ridden into town by the king of kings, the Lord of Lords. If it had been me, I would have been like on an elephant or something. Something big. Maybe a giraffe. You know, something fancy. You know what I mean? Like, wow, there comes the king. But instead, Jesus, you guys saw those, those pictures? You know what I'm talking about? You go to your grandma's house and, <laughs> and you have that, the frame that's all dusty on the, on the gro grooves, you know. It's like wood, but it's not really wood. And it's like gold, but it wasn't, it's not really gold anymore either. And uh, you have Jesus just like sitting sideways on a donkey. And kids looking up at him. He's like, why are you sitting sideways? You know, like he does sit like a man like this. You know, but Jesus is like this on the donkey. You guys know what I'm talking about or no? Am I talking to church? Yeah, okay, good. All right, you guys could say, okay, I, okay. Anyway, so Jesus is sitting there, and it seems like this picture that's just awkward. Why a donkey? It's part of the prophecy, of course. I know the prophecy as well. But I believe the reason God chose a donkey is because if he could use a donkey for his glory, he could use me. And he could use a donkey next to you. <laughs> There's a word in the old King James, and it's the A-S word. I'm not going to say it right now. But if God can use a donkey like yourself or like myself, man, God can use me. May God use us to bring his glory to our homes, to our schools, to our workplace. But it's wild. Sometimes we're like that donkey from Shrek. What's his name? Donkey. <laughs> right? We're like donkey. Right? Uh, if you guys know him, like, he's like, oh, Shrek. He's like all happy. He's like jumping around. You know what I'm saying? And I could just see this donkey like riding in a town, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and then Jesus is like right behind. People are like laying palms down and the coats and everything's there. And the donkey like. Looking around, feeling all like proud, looking at his donkey friends, you know, like, I love you, Shrek. You know, like, he's like pretending like it's for him and about him. And he's getting the glory of the, the donkey of all donkeys. You know, like, wow, you're such a great donkey. And I wish I could use the other word. Can I just one time at least? No, I'm just kidding. There's kids here. But you know what I mean? I'm like, I wish somebody could, could tell this donkey, bro, it's not about you. Like, it's really not about you. It really is about the one that's on you. It's not about you. And so much of us, isn't it, seems like it's about us. How much can I get? How much praise can we get? How much can people say I like? Versus God, it really is about you. 
Church is not supposed to be something you like. Did you know that? If you go to a church and you like everything, there's a problem. It should rub you the wrong way sometimes. Because if it doesn't, it's not filing away the things that are not supposed to be there. That's the way it really works. Marriage is not supposed to satisfy you only. It's supposed to sanctify you. So true relationships, they don't only satisfy you. They also form you. They shape you. See, in the ministry, in, in church like this, it's not about us. It's the one that's on us. So I just encourage you just to start this sermon that you would say, Lord, right here, right now, get some glory in my life. Do what you have to do. Use me. Do whatever you need to do. Change the, please change me. So that when people see us, they would glorify you. They don't think, oh, it's about the donkey. Not you trying to get some glory knocking God off your life. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, good. Now, tell the person next to you, I love you. Let's <laughs> kidding. All right, uh, let's pray. Close your eyes. Dear God, I thank you so much for your love, for your grace. I thank you because you have done already so much for us. And you don't do anything else again. You've done plenty. But I just pray right now, Lord, that you would change us. That as we come and we receive your word, we would be transformed. That we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Lord, we love you. And we desperately, desperately need you. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm a Cowboys fan. And if you're not... You probably don't know football. I'm just kidding. No, I, I, I love the Cowboys mainly because the Cowboys were the only team that would go play to Mexico when I lived there. And so that's the only team I ever knew. And I had their PJs. And it was back then, you know, we had Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, these incredible players. This guy, Emmett Smith, if you don't know football, you're probably going to get super bored for like two minutes. But bear with me for just a second. This guy was legitimate. He was awesome. He was so good, and people always said, oh, it's his, his O-line, like his, his, the, the, his team that makes him great. I realized something about Emmett Smith. He wasn't amazing, like in the sense, he wasn't the fastest one. He wasn't the flashiest guy like Barry Sanders. He wasn't the Walter Payton. He was a guy that just kept on going and going and going and going. He was like the energizer bunny. See, Emmett Smith, he broke the record in 2002 of the most rushing yards. So what, what does rushing yards mean? It means that I was able to run more or further than every other running back or runner th that was in my, in, uh, in, in, my, in my sport, okay, in my category. This guy, Emmett Smith, check this out. He ran 16,743 yards, 16,743 yards. That's when he broke the record. Some of you guys are thinking, okay, Pastor, what does that even mean? It actually doesn't mean that much. It means that he ran 9.5 miles in a span of 13 years. They're thinking, okay, that's retarded. That's like lame. That's not even good. I could run nine miles in about a year. <laughs> some, of you, some of you guys just caught that. You're like, yeah, I could do that. Some of us can say, oh, man, I could do that in a week. If you run a marathon, you run 26.2 miles. If you train for a marathon, you probably run about 150 miles already. The problem is that you don't have 11 insane, crazy, angry, workout every day, Chuck looking like people trying to cut your head off. Chuck, stand up for a second. Okay, let me see. Imagine 11 Chucks, 11 Chucks just trying to rip your head off. Every single, you're trying to, trying to run a yard in front of you. If you don't, if 11 Chucks don't want you to run, you're not going to run. Here, here's the crazy thing. He ran 9.5 miles in about 13 years. And so I did a little bit of math. That's about 4.2 miles, 4.2 yards per carry. Meaning every time he had the ball, boom, boom, he advanced 4.2 yards, 4.2 yards, 4.2 yards, 4.2 yards, 4.2. Over 13 years, he got knocked down on an average, oh, this is nuts, 4,370 times. 4,370 times, boom, just get knocked out, boom, get knocked down. You know how crazy that is? You know how much punishment you need to accept and receive? That's why I hated 
offense. I was always a defensive player. Because I like hitting. I didn't like to be hit. But man, over and over and over and over, 4,000 plus times he got up. 4,000 plus times made him the greatest of his time. The power of again, isn't it? We spoke about that on Friday. The power of again. Everyone could be a one-hit wonder. Oh, yeah, I love you. Yeah, but can you love me again tomorrow? Hey, I love you. But yeah, can you stick around for that the next week? Hey, can you love me again the same way as you're loving me now in about a year, in about five years, in about 15 pounds? Can you love me again? Can you love me when I am not lovable at the moment? I'm not lovable. Can you still say, I'm here with you? Most people, raise your hand if you've been to the gym before. Wave your hand like you just don't care. All right, good, good. Look around you. Look at those people waving their hand. Please, please. Look at their fine bodies. Look at the way they look. Man, you are so hot. Man. The power of again. Now we get it, right? The power of again. The power of again. Some of us have some John Madden bodies. <laughs> the power of again. The power of again. Can you do it again? Hey, can you really follow God today? Yes. Okay, great. You came to church. Praise God. I'll give you a cookie afterwards. But can you do it again? Can you say, God, I'm here again. I'm here and I'll be here tomorrow. Again and again and again. See, the importance of again is not just for you. The power of again means this. I took my son to Chuck E. Cheese. Good stuff. But can I do it again when the game is on? Can I do it again when I'm tired? Can I do it again when the guys want to go out, when I'm busy? Can I do it again? The power of again. Hey, I praise God right here, right now in church. But can I do it again in five hours when my family makes me angry? Can I do it again? Amen. Can you actually say, I'll do this again. I know of a God who does things again. And so we talked about that on Friday. If you want to hear the full sermon, there's a podcast and it is free 99 for you. Uh, this is completely free. Uh, but what we do want to do is go a little bit further. And so today, I'd like to share with you about the weakness. We have the power of again. But we also have the weakness of almost. Right, don't we? Like almost, they say that the richest places on earth are cemeteries. They're filled, filled with riches that were never really exploited. The best songs are underground. The cure for some horrible diseases are still there. Some of the greatest preachers, they're down there. The best presidents are underground. The best parents, the best wives, the best husbands, they're still buried. Do you know why? Because of, of that word, almost. Almost, almost, almost. It's one of the worst things because that almost leads us to believe that there's still time. And that there will be time. And there will be a time. I'm telling you what, right here, right now. If you live in almost, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. I'll do it, I'll do it one day. Yeah, no you won't. No you won't. You say you're going to do it, but you're not going to do it. Because if you wanted to do it, even if you didn't have the resources, you worked towards it. It's the power of again, Right? Well, I would tell you it's the power of now. Combine it with again, it'll get it done. Now is the time. Almost won't cut it. Now I know, I know, I know, I know for sure that there are moments in our lives that we feel like saying, but I failed. Yeah, but you tried. But you tried. I want to take you to a part of the Bible and let's go ahead and uh, read the scriptures. And if this guy is the worst almost of all time. If you want to name this sermon, um, you know, you could call it the weakness of almost. But if it's a subtitle, it would be the worst almost of all time. The worst almost. I know, uh, I read a quote uh, and I love that. It. it says, a poet once wrote, of all the words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. 
coulda, woulda, shoulda. It might have been. It might have been great. But, you know, one thing led to another. If that is true, then one of the most tragic words of human history and human language must be also the word almost. I almost married her. She got away. <laughs> I almost got the job. But I showed up late. I almost. I almost. There's this comedian, Dimitri Martin, I think is super funny. I don't know if he's funny anymore. You know how they get dirty? Like they start really good and then they get super dirty. I'm like, okay, dude. It takes a lot of intelligence to be funny without so much filth, doesn't it? It really does. So check it out. This guy says, you know, that there's this word called sort of. And it's a really scary word. You're going to live. Sort of. It's a boy. Sort of. I love you. Sort of. Does that make sense that this word, this, this half yes, half no word, it could be really bad sometimes. Especially if you need it to be yes or no. Will you marry this woman? Almost. <laughs> sort of. Isn't it weird how so much of us wants to truly live in commitment. But our flesh says no, no, no. Here's this guy. His name is Pilate. Tell the person next to you, don't be a pilot. Please don't be a pilot. Don't be a pilot. Whatever you do in life, never be a pilot. <laughs> Some of you guys say, I wanted to study aviation. Don't be a pilot. Okay, we're going to go to Luke chapter 23. Let me know when you guys got it. Luke chapter 23. You can, there you go. Someone's got an iPhone versus an Android. Luke, I'm just kidding. Luke chapter 23. Are you guys good? Uh, I don't have it yet. Sorry. Luke 23. Yeah. We're going to read. Yes? Just Luke 23 and then. We're just going to go from verse 3. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus said. Then Pilate announced to the chief priest and crowd, I find no basis for a change against this man, for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teachings. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. Oh, hear this. Pilate asked if the man was Galilean. When, the, when he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod. And he was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, it seems easy that he just handed him over. Check this out. Three times Pilate was asked. Three times Pilate answered, no, he's not guilty. He's not guilty. I find no fault in him. But instead, he released a man named Barabbas, a man who was a true criminal. Pilate had something inside of him that told him, Jesus is not guilty. He should not be paying for this, for this crime. Instead, he said, fine, I'll punish him. And then I'll let him go. I could just see Jesus. I can hear him. The Bible's not thick enough. It doesn't give me no detail. So I could see Jesus when Pilate said, he's not guilty. Jesus was like, I told you. Like, duh, I've been telling you. His wife was like, yes. Not Jesus' wife. I'm talking about Pilate's wife. Because Pilate's wife had a, a, a dream and told Pilate, hey, this guy is not guilty. Please do not crucify this guy. I feel like something horrible is going to happen if you do. Listen to your wives, man. Listen to your wives. Wives say... Amen. All right, good. Okay, so this guy did not listen to his wife and did not listen to the voice that would tell him he's not guilty. And so instead he says, fine, we'll punish him. She was like, what the? I thought you said I wasn't guilty. Like, why are you going to punish me? Fine, I'm going to punish him and then I'm going to let him go. I'm going to wash my hands. That's where the expression comes from. 
You can't wash your hands from Jesus' blood. How do you wash your hands from the blood of Jesus? This guy tried to do that. He said, fine, I'll just wash my hands. I'll give them over to be crucified. I'm not going to do it myself. I'm going to let somebody else do the dirty work. But I'm certainly not going to stop it. I think it was Thoreau, right? He said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. But this guy said, you know what, I'm not going to do it. But whatever you do, it's up to you. It's amazing how we do that with people. We just wash our hands very quickly. I didn't make him do that. But you also didn't help him. Oh, I wasn't there. Yeah, but you also didn't encourage him to do the right thing. Today's a wonderful day. It's an incredible, incredible day. Because I believe God wants to change something in you. Change something in me for sure. And that something is that we will never, ever, ever, ever live imprisoned to our almosts. I want to tell you part of the reason why I want to share this sermon. And it was the worst almost of my personal life. There's never been a worse moment as far as the almost goes. And I ask you guys to just bear with me for a moment. Uh, this man, his name was Omar. Uh, this kid was great. He was about 18 years old. This happened in 2003 in my own, it's my own story. And this kid, Omar, uh, he was a, a kid who was addicted to heroin. Uh, I love this family. I still do. And so his mom asked me to come and speak to, uh, to her son. And so I said, yeah, I'll be there. This was on a Wednesday. So I went, I went on Wednesday. And uh, I don't know if you ever smelled the smell of a man laying on a couch for about a week and a half. But that's how it smelled. I still remember how it smelled. I could remember the environment, the dark living room. Because light would just hurt him and he'd start screaming at his mom to shut the blinds. So he was there and, and mom would bring him as much food as he could. He was so sick already. He would just consume and consume. And when I got there, I, I, I remember putting my hand on his shoulder and trying to wake him up. And his eyes barely opened. And he just like, muttered stuff. And I was like, hey, Omar, can you hear me? Ah, he was just so gone. And so I told his mom, like, hey, listen. I need you to do me a favor. I want to speak to this man, but I want to speak to Omar, but I need you to get him sober. If you not need to lock him in the bathroom, do it. Give me a couple days. I'll come back and I'll pray with Omar. I'll speak to Omar. He will receive Jesus. I know his life can change. His mom said, I'll do whatever it takes. Even if he gets violent, I'll make sure that he's sober for the time, for the time that you come back. I said, okay, great. Great plan. And so I prayed for the kid and then I left. I was going to come back. I meant to come back. Friday night came. And I remember going to hear this guy speak, this Colombian pastor. And I got so excited about it. I received so much. And my life changed from there. I went to live to Colombia very, very soon after that. It was amazing because I began to receive this vision of winning souls and making disciples. It was really, really exciting. What happened is this, that while I was living in Colombia, this woman calls me. By the way, as I heard the sermon, I went to Colombia immediately. Like the day after that, I was already flying out to Colombia. Check this out. This woman calls me and starts cussing me out like, like I've never heard someone cuss out another person before. And she just went nuts. I mean, angry. I mean, she, the worst things that a person can say to somebody, she was just going off. Oh, mother just going crazy on me. And I remember just, I knew who she was, but I was, I was like, is this really you? What's wrong? And from anger and, and just resentment and hatred, it began to change into weeping and into crying. And she began to say, Pablito, donde estabas? Where were you? Where were you, Pablito? I know, and she just kept on repeating that over and over and over. And so I asked her what had happened. In 2003, Omar cut the cord of the vacuum, went to the Rose Bowl and hung himself that Saturday. That same Saturday. Now, I'm not telling you that it was my fault. 
because I had to come to grips with that. For the following months, I had to wrestle with that so much. I could hear her voice and I could see the guy so many times. Maybe you haven't had an experience like that. For me, it was such a hard moment. Because at some point, I had to fight the guilt of my almost. I could have been, I should have been there. But then again, how could I be in two places at once? I couldn't do everything. I knew that going to Colombia was the right thing, especially because of the fruit is yielded over the years. My life has changed. People's lives have been transformed. Raise your hand if you gave your life to Jesus through this ministry. Okay. If I ask the same question in the other two services, just about everybody would raise their hands. You see, what happens there is that God began to reveal something so clearly to me. He said, you can be in two places at once. See, I used to do church, but I used to not make disciples. I could not be there with Omar. But if I would have formed men according to the character of Jesus Christ, they could have been there for him. They could have been there with him. Even if I'm not there, Frank could have been there. You know, Chris could have been there. Mikey could have been there. Someone could have been there for Omar. That Saturday when his mom got him sober, that sobriety he used or half sobriety he used to kill himself. What if I could have done what the Bible actually says, win souls and make disciples. But instead I almost did the gospel. I didn't really do the gospel. I almost did the gospel. You see, I did the win souls part. But I didn't follow through with the rest of the commandment. And that lack of follow through in my life messed me up. It jacked me up so much that I said, never again will I just preach the gospel so people could be convinced or converted. Forget that. That is not the full gospel. Either you follow Jesus or don't pretend that you do. It's that simple. In my marriage, here's the crazy thing. She knows if I'm following Jesus. I know if she's following Jesus. Here's the crazy thing. I look at this guy, this guy's story. I look at his mom. His mom became this Mormon. She's a Mormon because they believe that you can be baptized for the dead. And so that was her one and only chance for her son. Isn't it crazy? What a, what a great scheme to think that you can die for the salvation of somebody else. Last time I checked, Jesus alone can do that. You see, it's so wild because this mom, not only did she hurt, but she also, that is a hard lesson to learn on my almost. But this time around, I say, I'm going to win souls and I'm going to make disciples. We have core leadership in this group. We have cell groups. We have something called discipleship. Like I said to you earlier, if you like church always, there's something wrong. Someone should be confronting you about the way you treat the person that's next to you. Someone should be speaking into your life, managing, helping you manage your time, helping you grow and go to the next level. If you're a father and you have children, somebody should be able to tell you, hey, maybe if your dad walked away on, from you, it doesn't mean that you have to do the same with your children. Be a man, stick around. Maybe, just maybe, there should be somebody for you women, when your emotions are slapping you around, there should be somebody else that can smack some sense into you and say, hey, you are being an emotional drunk, stop it. This is what the Word of God says about you. But we don't always like that, do we? We love to hear the prosperity of the gospel, which is great. But your soul needs to prosper as your entire life prospers. Not just one area. See, this man, these people said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate almost said no. Almost said no. Now because I know the story and I know that God has a plan. I know that even if Pilate would have said, no, let's not crucify him, somebody else would have gone through with it. There had to be a Judas. There had to be at the end of the day someone. But maybe, it couldn't have been, maybe Pilate could have been a great example of what character looks like. 
But what a guy who stands against the crowd and says, I don't care what you guys say. I don't care if this cost me my position. I don't care if I have to go to war against your tribes. I will stand for truth. I will not say yes when it's a no. What if Pilate would have been a great thing? Be a pilot, man. I want to be a pilot. Can I be a pilot? Yeah, man. You're just a pilot. Man, you're such a great pilot. Man, can you be a pilot today? Yes, sir. But instead, we wash our hands, don't we? We wash our hands. Oh, I'm a pilot. I wash my hands from that kid's life. I wash my hands from this relationship. I wash my hands from church. I wash my hands from that, from this commitment, from that commitment. I constantly wash my hands. Isn't it weird how one simple decision can impact so many people's lives? Pilate could have fallen on the wrong, on the right side of the field, but instead he was kicking against God. What if I said to you right here, right now, that your maybes, your, I mean your almost are the greatest dangers to your future. Your almost are the greatest dangers to your future. I almost went to the gym, but I got tired. You're supposed to be tired. It's a good thing. People hate being tired. Get used to it. It's part of work. If you're not tired, you ain't doing anything. you're not doing anything. Like seriously, I'm tired. Yeah, that's building endurance. If you're going to the gym and you're not getting tired, Chuck, what's that going to do to you? Nothing, right? Nothing. How many of you guys say, man, I was going to go, but you know, pastor, you know, I'm so tired. I'm tired of you being tired. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, how many times, how many times we could have, would have, should have, and we didn't. We didn't. Now, there's things that you cannot help. I get it. For that, there's God. What if the people would have said, no, nope, we're not going. That sea is deep. That water, no way, man. God said, simply walk. 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 It'll open. Walk. It'll open. So someone had to step into the lake. <laughs> Somebody had to step into the water, into the Red Sea and part it. Someone had to go ahead. If you want to make a choice to follow Jesus, it's not tomorrow. Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to your spouse. Don't lie to your kids. If you're going to follow God, start today. Start now. Start here. When? One guy brought a friend one day and said, Pastor, you were extra offensive today. And I was like, I'm sorry. He's like, no, he needed that. <laughs> and that friend happened to be the ex-boyfriend. And I kind of figured out the situation here. And I realized something. People want you to grow. Like people around you want you to grow. They don't want you to live with excuses. Do you know that? Like people around you want you to be a man of your word. Do you get that? Like people want you. Like especially the people that love you. The other ones don't give a rip. They don't care. You could just honestly, you could be, as long as you're good, then I'm good with you. And then you can mess your life up. I have other people like you. You know, you're a commodity. But the people that truly want a future with you, they don't want your excuses. Because your excuses will mess you up. They will hurt us. They'll hurt the community. They'll hurt the family. They'll hurt the descendants. What if I said to you that today God wants to get the quit out of you. He wants to get the almost out of you. So you could be a person that says yes here, yes now, right now, right now, right now. Amen. Right now. You and I know, you and I know that there's power, so much power in simply saying yes. The reason I think that the snooze button is demonic, I can't make theology out of it, but it's because it teaches you to delay what you said you would do. Yeah, I'm going to get up, but in five minutes. Have you ever been there where you, freaking snooze button, whoever invented it, biggest procrastinating promoter of the world. Right? Now the iPhone has like 16 alarms you can set every five minutes. And you guys do that? Don't raise your hand. Five minutes here, five minutes there. You start, start getting up at 5 so you can then get up at 635. 
You know what I'm saying? Click, click, click. If you sleep with someone, like my wife's like, can you turn those alarms off? I stopped using the snooze button. I can't stand it because it teaches me that it's okay to say it's okay sometimes. Eh, halfway. Right? Now, of course, I'm not preaching against the snooze button. I'm preaching against the times you press the snooze button on things you need to get done. Now, today, right here, right now, you need to start saying, okay, I got to get this done. Just, I think I'm going to give you two words, two really, really hard words to hear. Shut up. So hard to hear it, isn't it? Just shut up. Sometimes we talk so much about things we're going to do and we don't do them. Let's just do them. We talk to ourselves about it so we don't have to do it. So we can delay the process. Elijah, my four-year-old, pretends he doesn't understand. He knows, he, he knows when I tell him, put your shoes on, it means put your shoes on. Which shoes? The blue ones. Oh, these ones or the other blue shoes? The ones you have in front of you. The ones I just gave you. Okay, you want me to put this one on this foot or this one on the other foot? You know, my kid has never one time, kids usually do this, never, ever, shoes on the other side. Instinctively, he knew it doesn't fit. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, on this shoe or on that shoe, I'm like, Elijah, just put the shoes on. In my mind, I'm like, shut up. Because I'm a good father, I'm not going to do that, of course. But in my heart, I did. <laughs> just, just do it. God, I don't understand the scripture, so I'm not going to obey it. Okay, all right, bro. Shut up. I know, it doesn't sound right because Sunday morning, it's usually about you showing up with fancy hats and saying, mm-hmm. In my culture, we would show up on Sunday, we would sing hymns, beautiful hymns, by the way, that I still want to bring back. They're amazing, amazing. And then we would go out and honestly do nothing of what we were taught. Oh, we'd memorize it. I knew Hebrew and Greek in them. I just didn't know what to do because I had so much information and no transformation. It was just so much I could not start. It was too much. So, okay, where do you want me to start? Because I can't start like this. So, and we need to find something that I really love. There's so many things to do in the house. I love to do handiwork. I love to work with my hands. Every single day I'm using a drill, something. I love building things. And so, she says, there's so many things to do in the house. And I had analysis paralysis. Anybody know what that is? Analysis paralysis. When you got so much work to do and you just don't do it. Because you're like over the whelm. Because you're like, where do I start? You know what I'm saying? I know I got so much to do. And so Eoni did something. She did the syncing of our phones and she put on notes. One, two, three, four, five, six, 14, 35. Now I think we're up to 37 things that need to be done in the house. You know what that's done to me? It's changed my life. All of a sudden we don't argue about the things that need to be done because they're already there. Now I can't blame her. Hey, what do you want me to do first? They're in order. You know what? That's how God works. Seek first the kingdom of God. Oh, you, you mean I'm supposed to go after you. Yeah, I thought I was supposed to wait here and then you were going to come to me. No, seek first the kingdom of God. But you know I messed up. Yeah, I know. Seek God first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added on. Oh, but I have no mind. It's okay. Seek first the kingdom of God. Yeah, but you know my relationship. It's okay. Seek first the kingdom of God. But you know pornography. It's okay. Seek first the kingdom of God. Hey, but you know I got this excitement. Seek first the kingdom of God. Addiction. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. But I don't really believe every. Seek first the kingdom of God. I don't understand. Seek first the kingdom of God. I used to scream, literally, like scream at this lack of strength that I had in my spiritual life. Because I knew it was right. I studied psychology. And so I try to look at everything from a psychological lens. 
I went to my encounter. I felt so bad for the people that were ministering on my encounter. I was such a jerk to them. This was about 14, 13 years ago. I feel so bad for them because I was such an unbeliever, like so, such a stubborn jerk, religious. I had to kick myself in the rear. I can't believe I was like that just because I didn't understand everything. You're supposed to understand everything? Then it's not obedience. It's just partnership. And if you're not obeying, because obedience depends not on your understanding, but on the understanding on who's commanding it. It doesn't depend on your understanding. It depends on the understanding of who's commanding it. Either you obey God or you don't. It's that simple. Sometimes in church we pretend. And I think we need to stop pretending. Otherwise, we're going to blame God when it doesn't work. So we say, okay, well, I try the church thing, but my marriage is still the same. And it's not like that, bro. It's really not like that. If you really give God you, then it will work. I promise you that. And if it doesn't, then you can blame him. When you get to heaven, say, hey, I tried your thing. You know I did. Everything. Every day. All the time. I did it again and again. I didn't do the almost thing. I went all out, God. And then God will say, I'm sorry. Come into heaven. If you didn't do it, and you pretend that you did, and you try to lie about it, then you have your own righteousness. But in a place that you're going to hate for all eternity. Isn't it weird and isn't it wild? Now I'm not talking about predestination, Arminianism. I'm not trying to say once saved, always saved. Or do you have to work for your salvation. I'm just trying to tell you right here, right now. Obedience depends simply on the degree of authority the person has in your life. You will not obey someone who you don't consider worth obeying. So I tell Elijah all the time, you are your older, because Elijah's really chill and Josiah's like crazy. Like my, my, first, my second born, he, he's at the age of one, he was already making Elijah cry. Like he was like, nah, take toys away from him. Elijah's like, oh, he took the toy. I'm like, hit him. <laughs> You're two times his size. Like push him away, do something. See how good, good parent I am? You know, uh, I taught him how to do the rear naked choke and everything. I was like, you can do that on the one-year-old. It's easy. Big head. You know, uh, but this kid is just like, he's like, he's so nice and so kind. And, and I'm like, okay, Elijah, just, just be nice. Yes, be nice. But, but stand up for yourself, man. Like, don't just get pushed around. The teacher told us that Elijah needed to learn to say no. I needed to learn to say yes. Well, guess what? Elijah's learning how to say no. The most anointed word in the world, isn't it? No. Say with me, no. no. All right, good. Hey, you want to hang out Friday night? No. I got church. All right, good. Okay, so his anointed word, it really, 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 really is. You want to drink? Because you're religious? No. Because we ain't the same. Do you know why we're not the same? Because I got a purpose. My life is different. It's not because I'm better, to the contrary. Because I recognize I'm broken. And if I don't recognize I'm broken, I'm going to pretend that I'm completely whole and live as that. And then true brokenness comes. It's going to suck really bad. So here's what happens. This kid is learning to say no. And, uh, and so I, I was telling him that he needs to learn to say no, especially when it's going to hurt him and it's going to hurt somebody else. I have to break it down really, really simple for Elijah. And so Elijah finally, we had another meeting with the teacher. And the teacher was so proud of Elijah. She was so proud of Elijah. And by end, we take it for ourselves. Because Elijah finally is now able to say no to kids. And no, I don't like it. And I'm like, that's a good thing. But then the other day, I said, Elijah, pick up your toys. No, I don't want to. I was like, mm. 
Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. No, no, it's not like that. You know, this kid, he tried to pull my teachings against me. And I was like, wait, hold on. No, wait, okay. There's a level of authority that you need to understand. And so he finally, finally, finally went, you said no. I could say no. And I was just like, dang, that's who I am. That's me as a Christian. That's so me. No, God, I won't do it. I got my limits. And the Lord's like, boy, do you know who you're talking to? I created you out of nothing, dirt. I could put you back in it. You know what I'm saying? Like I have created you from everything. And yet so easily, so quickly, we say no because we don't understand levels of authority, do we? Oh, you can say no to your co-worker. No, I'm not going to work for you that day. No, man, I got, work. I got stuff to do. I got a date. All right, great. But then the owner of the company comes and says, hey, man, it's go time. All of you who want to keep this job must work Fridays. If you don't, you can find a job somewhere else. All of a sudden, your no, I got a date, turned into a phone call. Hey, you want to keep having dates? Yeah? You want me to pay for them? Yeah? Okay, because then I got to say Friday. <laughs> Why? Because a level of authority just spoke. See, we don't understand God's authority sometimes, do we? We think, I got to understand first, give me some time. It's a maybe for now versus God, I, I understand. I'm going to wrap this up because I know there's pupusas waiting for us right outside. And they are bomb, I heard. They're for Kids World, by the way. We're building funds for the Kids World. Uh, and it's going to be super, super cool. But um, there's this, this part that really just impacted me. It shocked me so much when I read it. Uh, and that is that this man named Pilate. He said a maybe to Jesus, but when you say wait to something, it's because you have said yes to the crowd. Like you say no to Jesus, it's because you've already said yes to the pressure. See, the crowd was there. And if the crowd wasn't there, he would have said, absolutely not. You're not getting crucified. There's no fault in you. But see, there's pressures, isn't there? There's people around us that make us say Almost. I almost gave my life to Christ. But there's voices inside of me that remind me that I'm not religious. Well, great. You shouldn't be religious. You should have a relationship with God. Oh, I almost did, but you know, I had this grandma and she was such a jerk. And she carried a Bible and she used to hit me with it. <laughs> and it was a big Bible. And I hated the way she lived. Really. I almost gave my life to Christ. But you know how busy we are. We're Americans. Americans are busy. We live busy lives. Capitalistic society. Gotta climb. Gotta climb. You know what? I almost gave my life to Jesus. But I'm so important. You have no idea. I have so much stuff to do. You're right. We'll leave saving the lost for later. Later. It's crazy, isn't it? When you put it in perspective, the gospel. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Many times I used to, over and over and over, I used to pretend that it was about me not falling. And pretend that my Christianity was about me not cussing, not chewing, not hang with people that were doing. And it had nothing to do with me. Jesus came. He, he, he sought after me. I fell in love with him when I actually had turned my back on him. And since then, I've been wanting to live closer and closer to him. Two churches later, two kids and a wife that is honestly way hotter than I deserve, much smarter, committed, loving, passionate. She's a pastor in this church who loves Jesus and has blessed so many people's lives. A woman who I can tell you this, no jealousy is found in her marriage. There's trust, there's communication. I don't have to wonder where she is. She doesn't have to wonder where I am. We have no passwords in anything. We have no need for passwords. 
We lose a phone. I'd rather lose my phone than my marriage, honestly. We have no reason to hide. You guys know us. You come to, you, you, 30, 40 of you guys were at my house yesterday. It's like 2 in the morning, some of you. You got to leave early. <laughs> we know, we know that, we know that if that moment, when I gave my life to Christ, it would have been an almost, so many people would not be blessed. I'm not tooting my horn. I'm asking you, who needs to be blessed through your yeses? Who needs to be blessed to your yes, I'll follow Jesus. The person that's closest to you will begin the blessing, will receive the first blessing. In order to lead the orchestra, you must turn your back to the crowd. If you're going to lead an orchestra, you cannot be listening to what everybody else behind you is telling you to do. If you're going to really be a leader in the kingdom of God, you cannot be led by the pressure of those saying crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. God will give you wise people near you, people that love you, and people that hear from God, like the wife of Pilate. They're not God. They're not perfect. But man, if they hear from God and they can hear you, then you could listen to them. And we should. I don't believe in organized religion. Great. Unorganized. I don't believe. It's okay. I get it. Fine. Then show us how. Don't use that as an excuse. How easy is that? You're not doing it right, so I'm not doing the right thing. Like the guy that used to smoke and kept on reading about lung cancer, so he stopped reading. How does that make sense? I will stop obeying because other people are not obeying. Then obey and show us how. Do it right if you're so amazing at it. It's so easy, isn't it? God, I just want to follow you. I want you. Well, what about science exactly? What about science? Big bang. Big bang happened. It's called boom, let there be light. It happened. What do you need in order to obey? You know what you need? Now. Yes, for sure. If you wait, you're already saying no. So many times over and over. Stand up with me for a second, please. So these guys, they ended up crucifying Christ. This council tore their robes when he said, yes, I am the king of the Jews. You probably have never heard this. Maybe, maybe you have. But the Jews had no king at that moment. They didn't have a king. So who ruled? The priests. Did you know that? That's why these priests have so much authority. It's like, kind of like the popes of the time. Or the pastor of the time. What if I had no authority over me? Would you be able to trust me if no one that I had to answer to? I have a pastor who I listen to. A pastor who also looks after my marriage. I have a king who I listen to, a Lord who I'm submitted to. A word of God that if it's not in line, please call it out or punch me in the face. Does that make sense? I really do. Jump me if I ever do something against my wife. And my Please, guys, Chuck, you're the first guy, please. Help me out, bro. Okay, Louis, help us out. Does that make sense? You have to have accountability. You have to have that, that, uh, that level that says, hey, you're not the guy. You're a donkey. Let God reign. Let God, ride. Let God be on top. You're not the guy. But we don't like that. See, the priests, they were so religious. They were so religious. But what they really wanted was power. This whole thing about Easter has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with reign. Who reigns in your life? Who is Lord over your life? The priests hated Jesus because they threatened their pseudo-authority. They were it. In the land, there was no one else. Of course, Caesar, all those guys, they paid and they helped them pave streets and taxes. And they did all these things. The federal government, so to speak. Oh, but they were the council. Literally, their name was the council. 
They got to be the shot callers. They got to decide who, what, when, what, where. They were the ones. So when Jesus came and he was proclaimed the king of the Jews, they started making stuff up. The Bible says they made stuff up that wasn't even congruent. They were lying in the courts. They were trying to do this really religious thing, weren't they? See, it's always a struggle of authority in our lives. It's a struggle for who's boss, who's in control, who's going to have the last say. I'm the one. So we hate that aspect of God. Yeah, I want an ATM. I want you to bless me. I want you to be with me, protect me. When I need you, you're there, of course, right? Just don't tell me what to do. I want a Savior. I just don't want a Lord. I want fire insurance. I just don't want the blessed assurance that you are there and that you're going to guide me. Today is an incredible morning, you guys. Incredible morning. Because I believe God is going to have you do something and come under his submission. This man crucified Jesus not because he was bad looking or horrible or just because he was doing bad things. They crucified him because they did not want to change kings. Do you? If you don't come back to this ministry, because today was so tough, I pray that you at least take one thing with you. You're not the Lord of your life. You suck at being God. You will wreck it and you'll wreck other people with it. You can't save you. You can't save me. There's only one Savior and he's sufficient. Jesus alone can reign. And if you let him reign and rule, if you let him actually guide your steps, this is what the Bible says. Okay. Trust the Lord in all your ways and he will set your path straight. I've seen it. I continue to see it. This church will be thousands and thousands of people. But I pray that the foundations would be you. That I pray that the, the services that are going on, the disciples that are growing, they're not mine, by the way. They're Christ's disciples. Oh, everyone can say I'm Christian. Just like I say I'm a Cowboys fan. But I don't play for the Cowboys, bro. I could say I'm a Christian. You know God doesn't have grandkids? That's weird, right? He does not have grandchildren. You don't just become a child of God because your mama was a child of God. Because your dad was a child of God. You either are or you're not. Behave like it. Let's live like it. Close your eyes. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for the men that have come here, broken off pride, to walk into these doors and have some random guy speak to them of things that honestly can really hurt them. Things that have probably been hurting them for a long time. I pray for the men especially right now. The pride, the pride of power, Lord. For the men who are here that are anything like me in this that do not like people telling them what to do. I pray right now, God, that you please, God, please, please, Lord, break our pride and break our ego. Help us, God, to have you as Lord. Forgive us, God, if we choose to crucify you instead of publish you, instead of proclaim you, instead of crucify ourselves, deny ourselves, pick up our cross. God, we want to truly, truly go after you. I pray right now for the women that are in this place that struggle so much to truly submit to you. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you help us to be people that are real about our faith. That instead of saying, I almost did, I almost read my Bible, I almost prayed, that we can say, no, 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 I'm going to do it now. Before I look at my Instagram, my Facebook in the mornings, I'm going to look at the Word of God. Before I see who liked my pictures, I'm going to make sure, Jesus, you like my life. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you help us to be real about our walk. I pray, God, that you help us to do the first thing first, that is to seek you and seek you alone, God. Before we even go to our leaders or our pastors, that we seek your face about our issues, about our matters, God. I pray right now, Lord, that this people in this room that heard these words would be impacted by them. Because they're yours, God. I pray, God, that you would impact their marriages, their future marriages, God, their children and their future children. Lord, I ask you, please, no, I beg you, God, that you would guide their steps. That as you walk, as they walk, God, 
that they would know that they know that you're there with them, that you're truly, truly, truly in control. And if you're in control, they will not crash. I pray right now, God, that please help us break down the excuses. That you give us the power of again and the power of right now. That the weakness of almost would not be what reigns. Right. I pray right now, God, that these men and these women stop snoozing away their spiritual life. That they stop snoozing away, God, their family life. That they stop snoozing away at the importance of building relationship with the women God entrusted them with. That the women, God, would not postpone the true encouragement of the man that you've given them in their lives. God, I thank you for discipleship. I thank you because I know that we are so afraid of it sometimes. And that is a wonderful thing. That we would continue to respect individuality and yet find the balance between that and not watching somebody go to hell and go through hell in their lives. God, give us wisdom. Give us strength. Give us your own spirit to lead us in this. Thank you, God. I just pray for one last thing for this amazing group. Lord, I know that people have gone the extra mile to come out of their way and to be in your house. But I pray right now, Lord, that as they leave here, they will not leave your presence. That your presence would go with them. Your presence would go to the restaurants or go to their homes. Would go wherever they go. That people will know that they have been at your house. That they would have the scent of Jesus. That they can truly go back through the jobs and say, why is this person working now harder? Why is this person doing things right? Why all of a sudden you're an investor, not just a taker? Dear God, I pray right now that you bless and change this group. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. If you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus, please, all of you, keep your eyes closed. Don't pretend like it's going to be later or you need to understand some things. One thing you need to understand. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for whoever that includes you believes would not die, would not perish an eternal death, but rather have an everlasting life. If this is you and you understand that he doesn't need you, he wants you, he loves you, but you do need him. If you want to give Jesus your life, not ultimatums, not excuses, but a yes, not an almost, but a right now. I'm going to invite you to follow this simple prayer, which won't necessarily save you. It is your faith in what you'll say. Would you tell him, Jesus Christ, this morning I give you my life. I give you my heart. I ask you to change me, to make me the person that you want me to be. Tell him, forgive me for all my sins. Thank you for paying for them at the cross. 2,000 plus years ago, you allowed crucifixion to happen for me. Thank you for dying for my sins. It should have been me. It should have been me. But instead, it was you. I accept your sacrifice. I accept your forgiveness. Thank you for resurrecting. And I believe that 100%. That I too will one day rise again with you. In your name I pray. Amen, amen. Give God a loud round of applause.